I don't know if you kind of caught the words of that song, but um, that song and even the verse that he had up there last is all about a God that's in absolute control. There is nothing better for us as believers than to know that there is a God in control. I mean, most of you probably didn't think about it, but this morning, God was functioning in such a way that this massive universe that has trillions and trillions of stars was moving. Some of the parts of it were moving at the speed of light. The earth was still rotating around the sun. The moon is rotating around the earth. We're spinning on our axis. We're sticking to this planet via the power of gravity. And I doubt many of you thought, no way. In fact, most people sit down and read the news and they see the mess that's in the Middle East. They see the mess that's of our economy. They see all these messes and we forget there's this God that's holding it all together. Everything's okay. I remember as a kid, I used to hear those words all the time. You know, I'd get scared, come in after a dream or something and my dad would grab me. He goes, all right, it's right. Daddy's got you. And I think there's this side of it that we forget that we do have a God in heaven who's in control. And that's what that song is all about. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. The last few weeks, Francis has kind of laid out a, a vision for what Cornerstone as a church is going to try to do over in L.A. through all the different uh, churches, the, the gatherings that are happening over there. Um, and so this morning, what I want to do, though, is I want to lay out a vision for what the rest of us are doing because we don't live in L.A. County for most of us. We live in Ventura County. And so I'm going to try this morning just to try to help you understand where we're going and so last week, um, or the last few weeks, Francis has kind of shared from a, 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 just a vision for how it's going to hit the ground over there. Now, the one thing that is so important to understand is that we're not on different pages. It might look different on how it hits the ground, but we're not different because since this church was started, there's been a guiding principle that's been all about our purpose statement, which is just look. We have this, this desire as a church, we exist as a church that, that this group of people might honestly see an accurate picture of God. Since the start of Cornerstone, it's been all about an accurate picture of God, and that those people that now believe seeing this accurate view of God will now become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's this 30,000-foot level. Nothing has changed. Uh, whether you're over there, whether you're here, everything remains the same. But as you know, that as you start to flesh that out, more and more and more, and as that 30,000-foot level starts to hit the ground, it may look just a little different, but it all is the same. Now, all throughout the Bible, Paul will oftentimes use wartime mentality to explain something. So in other words, uh, during World War II, there was, there was this goal, this overarching goal, which was to pre- prevent Nazism, fascism, imperialism for overtaking the world. That was this big, massive goal. Now, how it got carried out in every theater of the war was absolutely different. On D-Day, there was one strategy. When they were seeking to take the islands in the Pacific, there was another strategy. When they were seeking to do the various things they were doing, all of it still came back to this overarching goal of these countries gathering together to make sure that the goal of of, of hindering that and still promoting then a correct view of how nations are supposed to to operate. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. Now... Where we're going and how the, the, the rubber's going to hit the road here in Simi Valley is this. And I'm going to use Ephesians 4 to kind of develop out where we're going to go. So if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's actually Bibles back over there. Um, feel free to go grab one or, um, or else nudge somebody, nudge somebody, nudge somebody, nudge somebody, nudge somebody, and somebody will go grab it for you. Um, but we're going to be in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. Now... What Francis was talking about in L.A. County, what we're talking about, this overarching goal, you've got to understand, that's the overarching goal of Scripture. 
Scripture has always, always, always been about presenting an accurate view of God. From the very beginning, whether it was in the garden, God wanted to display an accurate view of God through his image bearers. Whether it was with Noah, whether it was with uh, Abraham as presenting an accurate view of God as a family, whether it was as Moses presenting an accurate view as a gospel or as a family, um, whether it was through uh, um, uh, even David presenting an accurate view of God as a kingdom, God has always wanted himself presented accurately. Now, the book of Ephesians is all about this story on how God is going to present himself accurately to the world. And when he comes to Ephesians 4, he even talks about this person, Jesus, who came, took on flesh to be a representation to God to the world, an exact representation, whereby which God took on flesh. But in Ephesians 4, 7, 8, 9, 10, suddenly there's this idea, though, that Jesus Christ was going to leave, and in his leaving, he was going to give gifts to men to make sure that a group of people called the church had the ability and the capacity to demonstrate who God was. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let me be crystal clear as we get started this morning. Your job is to join God's church in being a crystal clear illustration and accurate presentation to God. Now, the way I used to think of what an accurate presentation of God was, it was in how I taught or how I preached, the exact words that I used, correct doctrine. The thing, though, that as I've studied the scriptures, I've started to realize, though, it's not just our talk. James says, look, don't just be hearers of the word, be what? Doers. It's how that big giant thing hits your life and it starts to flow out and how God represents himself. And right now... God is representing himself through the church. Sometimes you'll hear it called the body. In other words, it's this idea in which Christ is the head and all the body functions in a certain way to be the representation of God. Today we're going to also deal with this idea of a building. There's supposed to be this building that is an illustration to God in in a unique way. The main thing to understand, though, listen to me clearly. Your job is to line yourself up in this gigantic story that I've just talked about to make sure that you are living a life that models who God is. Every time somebody steps outside of this story, Adam and Eve, what happens? A mess. Noah steps out, or he doesn't step outside, but people do. A mess. Abraham, David, all the way down through here, my job is not to live my story. My job is to live the story. Now, one time, a friend of mine was going to, we were going to watch a movie that he was in. He was an extra. And we all showed up, and we, I don't even remember what the movie was now, to be honest with you, but he wasn't till the very end of the movie. So all of us were like, blah, 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 through the whole movie, you know, like, <sighs> until finally he goes, hey, it's coming, it's coming. You know, all of us just cruise around the TV. We're like, no way. We're like sitting in front of it, and it's a war. They just won a war, is whatever he was doing. And, and suddenly the camera's panning across all the soldiers, and it comes to him, and he's like, and we're like, no, there you are, shut up. He goes, no, no, sh- I'm going to be on again. And it like pans again, and here he is going like this again, and then it was over. <laughs> the story is not about us. This is God's story. We're a player in the story. And too often we get into the story and we're like, yay, look at me in the story. no. It's about God. 
And the important part to understand about where I'm going today, if you follow this story out, there's going to come a day in which Todd doesn't win, God wins. There is a point and a place in which we've always got to remember how we line ourselves up. And your job as a person is to look at the very beginning of this story and the very end of this story and make sure, am I playing my part in this story? You don't have a right to play your own part. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means your job is to get into this story and to live out your part. You're to play your part. Now, in Ephesians 4, we come to it. And, and what's going to happen is, is that Paul is going to explain how it is that a group of people stays in line with the story. And so go with me to Ephesians 4, and he says this in verse 11. In order to stay in the story, verses 7 through uh, 10 kind of give this idea is Jesus gave gifts. Now, what did God, what did Jesus give? He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, what does he mean by that? Literally, what God did was, is he decided in order to keep this story going, he had to give certain groups of men to the church to be able to keep this story going. He gave four groups he lays out there. One is an apostle. And we know apostles were a group that were appointed by Jesus. They saw Jesus. They saw his ministry. He literally appointed them. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about, Paul says, the works of an apostle were done amongst you with signs and wonders. I know I'm not an apostle because I haven't done any signs and wonders lately. Didn't raise anybody from the dead, didn't heal anybody. In other words, I know for sure I'm not an apostle. And there would be different views on it. Some believe apostles are still around today. Some believe that they're not. I'm not going to get into that debate right now, but I'll just tell you this. As far as I know, Cornerstone has no apostles. Here's the second thing, prophets. Prophets were given to the church for a unique reason, which was to beckon God's people back to the story. Anytime you read about a prophet, whether it's Jeremiah or Isaiah or Daniel or Ezekiel, they were always calling God's people back to the story. You've exited the story. Come back in line with the story. And they would do it in such a way that God's people would repent and come back into it. You'll see this over and over as you read the Old Testament. And even in the New Testament, we have prophets that would call God's people back into the story. Now, the prophets would also do signs and wonders. They wrote the text of Scripture like the apostles did. They were the ones that God used. And you see it in Ephesians 2.20, just a few verses earlier, that the apostles and the prophets were the foundation of the church. Now, the reason that I take the view that specifically those offices of, of people, those roles are no longer around is just because the foundation is built. Once the foundation is built, we don't need it anymore. We don't need those roles anymore. We need new roles. And off of these new roles, now, come this guy named an evangelist. Now, a lot of times, evangelists seem to be this guy that we see standing. We think it is the guy standing on the street corner. You know, he gets out his little ladder, and he stands in front of everybody, and he's the one yelling and screaming at you in downtown L.A. That's not an evangelist. That's a guy yelling and screaming. Now, I praise God for what he's doing, but that's not an evangelist. An evangelist instead is this guy that's used by God to take the gospel where the gospel isn't or where it's lacking. This guy is that guy, this entrepreneur of the gospel that takes it where no one else wants to go. He is the William Shatner of the church to boldly go where no man has gone before, right? Except we're not taking the, the, the main directive. We're taking the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not afraid to do anything. 
He'll go in there and he will now seek with everything that he can to establish the story of God. And specifically, he's seeking to plant a church. He's seeking to establish leaders within the church. He's seeking to call people into this body. See, the problem with the majority of people that call themselves evangelists today is they could care less whether somebody puts themselves in the church or not. They're just trying to get them to say yes to, to a message that was presented to them. A true evangelist of the gospel always makes sure to call people in, but then puts them in their family. You don't leave a bunch of babies out. Can you imagine if after having a baby, people just put them outside and said, hey, good luck to you? No, the evangelist says, no, we're calling you into a family. We're calling you into a people. We're calling you into a kingdom. We're calling you in. So that's an evangelist. Now, people will ask the question, why is Francis going over to L.A. County for the summer? Well, Because in a lot of ways, Francis is an evangelist. I mean, he's that guy that literally will go where no one else wants to go. Have you ever noticed that? Now, sometimes you look at him and go, hey, where are you going? He'll be like, I don't know, but let's go. You know, and he's just screaming. And everybody's like, hey, do you know where he's going? No, but I want to follow him. He's that guy that literally he knows he's always trying to build the church. But the way that God has crafted him together, he's just that guy that's out on the front He's trying to establish works maybe where the church isn't present. As the elders prayed through it and we thought through it, we tried to send the best people to go do the job. And as we thought through how to get into the millions over here, we decided that a guy like Matt Moore, who is crafted in just a specific way, we're going to talk about it here in a second, this pastor teacher. But Francis, we just felt these are the best two guys to send to kind of get these works going. Now, if you need Francis back here, I'm sure we can quickly get an evangelist back here if we need one, because in a lot of ways, he is very prophetic, even though I think that's the the bottom of it. He does call people back, but that's just kind of the role he's played. And then the one that you see the most in the Bible are these guys called pastor-teachers. Another way that they're called is elder or overseer or shepherd, but they're these guys that literally see this big story of God and they see it as their role to shepherd God's people back into this story. Part of the thing is to guard the flock from false doctrine. False doctrine is just simply a, a truth that might, they might learn that will get them off course of the story of God. They're guys that, that know the story very well so that as they're working through, they know how to establish it. And in establishing it, they see, okay, this is the part we need to play over here. And this is where God has us in the story. And we need to keep our people in it to fulfill that day when Jesus Christ comes back. Now, we have about ten, nine of those shepherds actually here at Cornerstone at this point. Be honest with you, my prayer is is that we end up having about 200 or 300 of these people. These guys that know how to shepherd God's people in such a way that inside of their neighborhood, they start to live the story of God. They start to play their part. See, the mistake we've made in, in a lot of how we've done church is we've created this concept of a lecture hall. In other words, up here, the only person that really needs to be spirit-filled today is me. That's wrong. That's not how it's supposed to be. Not only that, but God never wanted to have have lecture halls. He wanted you instead to have a different way of doing it. See, the best thing that I've learned about diving into my neighborhood is this. I can teach it from up here, but there's something special about being able to teach it and then to show it. I used to teach chemistry, and one of the things that I would always love doing was, it was one thing to talk about the gas laws. I don't know how many of you remember the gas laws, but they're boring. Until you throw a can on a fire, and you ask them what's going to happen. 
And they start telling you about what's called direct variation, in which as that gets hotter, the pressure is going to increase and that sucker is going to explode. Everybody jump, right? Now all of a sudden, there's a different way of teaching. The way the Bible talks about it is these shepherds are people that are supposed to be hands-on with the people and they're to love them in a certain way and to show them how to get involved in this big story of God. They're to show the people how to congregate themselves. Now here's what's very important to understand about these groups of people, this apostle, this prophet, this evangelist, and this pastor teacher. In 1 Corinthians 3.10, it says, listen, this group Paul calls master builders, back to our building analogy. They're a group of people that are supposed to make sure, they're the engineers and the architects of the project, they're to make sure that this building project is happening correctly because if it happens incorrectly, we're going to veer from the story of God. That means people are going to veer away, they're going to get caught up in things they're not supposed to. And Paul says, be careful how you build. That's why you make sure that these elders that you choose to lead a church, they're guys that understand the story of God, they understand the gospel. They understand God's word. They have, a, they have a relationship with God. They know God. They know the God of this story. And with every fabric of their life, they're seeking to live it so that they can call others into the same thing. That's called authenticity. They have this ability to bring God's people along the way. Because Paul also says, he says, be careful how you build. Because if you build wrongly, there's a judgment for you. See, the reality of the pastors and the elders at Cornerstone Community Church is is that if we build wrongly, the consequences are huge when we stand in front of God one day. James 3.1 says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brothers, because you know you will incur a stricter judgment. I used to think I just needed to teach accurately. I needed to teach correct doctrine. But actually what James is talking about, because from James 2 and the rest of James 3, he's talking about how you live your life. These shepherds are to be on the ground with people, loving people, showing them it is, how it is that we're to be a part of the story of God. That's that group of people. He says, it's in the Bible, he says, these ones are given as a gift and they're to play this role. Now in Acts 6, it talks about with the apostles that they were getting busy, caught up doing all kinds of things that weren't in line with what was their role. And they realized, look, we've got to find more people to help us. Because they said, we've got to stay connected to the word of God and we've got to stay connected with prayer because if we start doing somebody else's job, the group is going to get veered off. What you need to pray for elders and pastors at Cornerstone, those of you that aren't, is that we make sure that these guys are staying in the word, staying on their knees, and begging God to show us where we're supposed to go. If the pastors and elders here get too busy doing other things besides that, this church will go off kilter so fast. We've got to stay focused on that. So what's the next part of it? He comes in and he says, look, these guys are supposed to do something very specific. Look at verse 12. They're to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That word equip means to pull into line. It means to set straight. That's why I use the idea of a story. The idea is this group of people, you're looking at it, and you're looking at the story of God. You're looking way back at when God first created. You're looking this way when God's going to bring all things to an end. And you're looking at the people around you going, are we in this story together? And if there's one of us not in this story, that means the shepherd is supposed to go, whoa, no, come back into this story, and you come back into this story. And it's trying to line it up to make sure that all of us, as we, as we live together, we're presenting an accurate view of God, our purpose statement. 
One, purpose, one person steps out of line and he can start to present an inaccurate view of God. And so as this elder works along, he is to equip. He is to come alongside of the people and he is to equip them to do something very specific, which is the work of ministry. Listen to me really, really close. Elders and pastors in their role do not do the work. They equip. Now in our culture, we're like, hey man, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're just going to sit up in your ivory tower and you're going to think about cool things we're supposed to do and you're going to hear the voice of God. No, not at all. But God's people are to do the work. God's designed it that way. And in fact, one of the biggest mistakes we've made, I think, is that we forgot that God's people are supposed to do this. In other words, this is what happens. Somebody comes to know Jesus Christ, and it's very natural. Like when we had our first babies, we get our baby, and we put our baby inside of a stroller, and we start walking with them everywhere they're supposed to go. Very normal, very natural. As they get older and older, though, my baby, my little kids are supposed to graduate because their legs are going to start working better, their feet are going to start working better, so they should get out of their stroller and start walking more. Now, the other day we went to the L.A. Zoo. My daughter really didn't want to stay in the stroller. She wanted to run all over the place. A year younger, her brother, he wanted to stay in the stroller. He started to get tired and whiny, and I told him to suck it up, kid. We're at the zoo. (laughs) I'm training you. But we had a stroller for him. Now, if my kids are still in a stroller at 20... We got a problem. But that's what's happened in the church. Oh, oh, you want us to raise your children? Okay, we'll raise your kids for you. This is called our children's ministry. They'll be raising your kids for you. Oh, and this is our junior high ministry, and this is our senior high ministry. And, and not only that, oh, you want us to do your finances? Oh, you want us to lead your friends to Jesus? I hear people say this all the time. I, I can't share with my friends. I can't share Christ with my friends, so I need Francis to. No, you need to get out of the stroller. It's time to grow up. This idea of equipping means helping to grow up. Right? If your kid is still at home at 25 playing Xbox, it is time to put a foot to his rump. (laughs) Lovingly. Get a job. Join the military. Go to college. You've now solved five games. That's it. (laughs) But you're to equip this group of people to do the work of ministry, which, by the way, is not a simple thing. This work of ministry, he's going to explain it. Look how he explains it here. He says, we're going to equip you for works of ministry to do what? To build up the body of Christ. That's the blueprint. These elders and these these pastors are looking over this project going, okay, our blueprint is, is that we will have a group of people that at the end they will look like Jesus. That's maturity. They won't be in their strollers anymore. They'll be out. They'll be acting like Jesus. In other words, some will have the hands that will be Jesus' hands. Some will be the feet. Some will be the heart of Jesus. Some will be the mouth of Jesus. Some will be all these different parts. But in 1 Corinthians 12, it said all these parts coming together so that now this collective group of people looks like Jesus. You individually can't look like Jesus. You're not God. You have God in you, 
But Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 says, no, all of you are this temple that are coming together. And in 1 Peter 2, you're being built together. All these stones are being fashioned together so that as he starts to pull this together, this group of people here should start to look more and more like Jesus. I was in Bozeman, Montana, and I was sitting down with a guy that's the editor of a magazine. He's from the L.A. area, and we just started to talk. He goes, so you're a pastor? And I go, yeah. He goes, you know what? He goes, you want to know why I struggle with Christianity? And I said, I bet you I can tell you. He goes, shoot, go ahead. I go, I think you read stories in the Bible about Jesus, and you totally dig Jesus, but you look at the church, and you don't like the church. Is that fair? He goes, how did you know? I go, because I've talked to a lot of people about this. See, the more that the pastors do the work, the less this group starts to look like Jesus. This group is supposed to grow up into its head, which is Jesus Christ, and then this group is to be this amazing, massive expression of God to the world. That's the blueprint. In the same way that when Jesus Christ came and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, anybody should be able to look at the church and say, if you've seen the church, you've seen Jesus. That's the goal. That's what we're trying to do here. Those of us that are elders and pastors, we're going, oh my goodness, what a task. We've got to somehow herd this group of people. We've got to shepherd them into this, this concept. No wonder you need the Holy Spirit. Oh. Imagine trying to get a group of people to look like Jesus. I can't even get myself to look like Jesus. So this group has to be connected. Now, there's some people that go, I don't want to play my part. (laughs) Suck it up. No. (laughs) That's because you don't want to be a part of the story. When you say, I don't want to be a part, I don't want to do my part, you're saying, I don't want the part that God gave me to play in this story. I want to do my own thing. Do you realize how much that doesn't look like Jesus when you do your own thing? The goal of the church is that all these pieces start to fit together. Look at how he describes it. Go back with me to this text. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of stature, the fullness of Christ. He said, look, that's what we're trying to get towards. In Hebrews 13, in verse, in verse 17, he says to this group of people, he says, look, I want you to obey and to submit to your leaders. Now, in the United States, we hate that. Man, we were formed out of the revolution. Ain't no king going to tell me what to do, right? I mean, we're like, no. Uh-uh. We're going to vote. No. Somehow in this, God said, no, I've, cre- I've given you a group of people that are going to show you this picture And I want you to obey and submit to them. And I want you to go where they tell you to go. Because in going where they tell you to go, you're going to stay inside of this story of God. Well, I don't know. Mine's not really acting too much like I want him to. Well, pray for him. We pray for these leaders. We beg God and we go, God, if they don't walk with Jesus, this group could start to veer off. See, I think because we have a good communicator at our church, Francis Chan, we just assume everything's going to be okay. Todd preached this weekend. It's a good thing Francis might be back one day. I'll just sit here until Francis gets back. It's not how God designed the church. God designed it in such a way that it's supposed to operate that way. He said, so that you make their job joyful. 
See, so often as a pastor, I feel like instead of shepherding sheep, we're herding cats. We're like... Right? That's why I don't own a cat. You come into the house and you go, Here, kitty, 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 kitty. The thing goes, You come here. I want a dumb dog. I want like a golden retriever. I grew up with labs, right? Where they're just like, hey, what are we going to do to him? I'll go get that ball. Yeah, come back, you know? Sheep follow. Sheep don't say, I don't want to. I'm doing my thing. Sheep hear their shepherd and they know the safest and most wonderful place for them is to stay in line with their shepherd. Because sheep know that I exit, it's dangerous. That's why Jesus told the story, when one sheep veers away, what does the guy do? He knows that sheep is in danger, so he goes and gets that one because if he doesn't, that sheep will be eaten by wolves. That one that thought, I'm going to do my own thing. Now, Cornerstone, what we've decided to do in order to be an accurate display of God to the world is we've decided to split ourselves up because this thing is so massive. And Francis can't shepherd this thing all alone. In this venue, he can. You can come in here and he can shepherd you. And a lot of you would call him a shepherd. I mean, there's people in South Carolina that call him their shepherd. No, he's not. They don't know him. You come in here, and yes, it could happen in this venue, but this venue is just one aspect of what is actually the more important part, which is that we get you back out into your neighborhoods to function as the body of Christ. See, the one thing that I love about it is when I go back to my neighborhood, it's a classroom for me, man. I get out there, you know, and we're studying scripture together. And we're like all talking about how does this function? How does this work? And we're able to put hands onto it. They're able to learn that really I, I have my foibles and my problems. They know how to pray for me and I learn how to pray for them. And, and we learn how to live together. And as this group starts to work together, they start to gel together. And as they start to gel together, they start to look like Jesus to the neighborhood. That's what he talks about. Watch this in, in, uh, in Ephesians 4. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom hold the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, the more that this group starts to gel together, the more that they start to love one another, the more that they start to, to get on mission together, the world can't deny that apologetic of Jesus. See, I used to think that the way that I need to win you to Jesus is I need to create cunning, crafty arguments. And I love to argue. Oh, do I love to argue. I love to craft together my arguments so that I'm like, oh, it's funny you should bring that up. Welcome to my trap that I've just set for you. <laughs> Repent and come to Jesus now. That's not how Jesus talked about it. The apologetic is not this. First Peter talks about the idea that they might see you and ask what's the hope in you. That's the apologetic. 
that they watch that group of people and see that group of people, hear how they talk about Jesus, hear how they live for Jesus. And in seeing and watching and hearing all those things, they cannot deny the reality of the spirit that's in there and they come to Jesus. See, the reason people love Jesus and not the church is because the church forgot Jesus is the blueprint of what we're supposed to look like. Jesus is a magnet, man. If you look at the whole of the whole Gospels, everywhere Jesus went, people were flocking to him. They loved him. But not only was he a magnet, he was also a repellent at times, wasn't he? Man, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those guys, they didn't like Jesus too much. He drove them away. And the reason that Cornerstone has decided to do this and the reason that we've put razor wire in the three areas of, of, of Simi Valley so that you can't get from one side to the other without your special secret code uh, Cornerstone card. Because <laughs> we don't want you to have friendships outside of your neighborhood. That would be dastardly. <laughs> it's because we had to figure out how in the world you're going to shepherd this many people. We didn't do it because we were bored. Trust me. I would love nothing more than just say, Francis, go be funny, would you? Go come up with creative, neat little things that get people to go, ah, I want to follow Jesus. Now, is he good at that? Holy cow, is he good at that? But that's one and a half hours a week. We're asked to be the church 24 hours, seven days a week. We're asked to be the church. You can't have Francis with you everywhere you go. And in fact, the more you get to know Francis, you start to see at some points you don't want him with you. <laughs> I always laugh when people are like so excited to meet Francis and they go in and they realize, hey, no, be funny like you're off on stage. Go ahead. Be funny. <laughs> and he looks at you and he doesn't really want to be funny. In other words, you need other people to be able to do this. That's why I believe we need 200, 300 more people to be able to pull this off. These gifted men of God to be able to guide God's people in it because the goal is to look like Jesus because when we look like Jesus, that's the greatest apologetic for God's people. Now, that's up here 30,000 feet. How is this going to hit the ground? Well, number one, it is to call you back into your neighborhood. Now, your neighborhood is not the end. Let me say this again. Your neighborhood is not the end. Your neighborhood is merely the beginning. Meaning inside of your neighborhood is where hopefully there are going to be people to shepherd you, to teach you this, this, this story of God, the mission of God. And they're going to teach it to you inside of your neighborhood. And by the way, you're going to find people in that group you don't like. You will. You'll find people that aren't as funny as you want them to be. You'll find people that have a lot of foibles inside of that. Now, we Americans are known that, fine, dude, if you're going to be like that, I'm walking away. I'm out of here. That ain't Jesus. Jesus demonstrated that he doesn't walk away. We as Christians have to learn that just because I don't have things my way, in fact, when I don't have things my way and I still live and walk and choose to be around these people, that shows Jesus. When I choose to deal with people that aren't very lovely, when I choose to deal with people that aren't very funny, when I choose to live with these different people and I choose to treat them like Jesus would, then this group of people starts to look like it and actually then they start to love one another, care for one another, and they start to be this amazing apologetic to the world. That's where you start. 
That's where you learn the mission of God. So that those of you in this room that work, whether you're men or women or teenagers or whoever it is, now out of this is where you learn the mission of God. Then when you go to your business, your place of employment, guess what you start to do? The same thing you did in your neighborhood. You find the groups of people that are Christians inside of your workplace and go, hey, glad I'm here. Uh, Just so you know, here's what our job is in our workplace. We're supposed to gather together in such a way that people see Jesus. So you're a believer, you're a believer, you're a believer. Come on, we're going to do this. Here we go. Not only that, if you're someone that maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, your job is now to find other moms within your neighborhood. Go down to the local parks. Take the kids down there to show who Jesus Christ is. If you're stay-at-home dad, because we have a few of those in here, same thing. In other words, wherever you go, students, you learn the mission of God in your neighborhood, and when you go onto your campus at school, you're finding other believers, and you're doing the same thing that you did in your neighborhood. In other words, then, the neighborhood is merely the starting point. That's the place you start, and out of that starting point now, you go live it. Do you realize you live it in your neighborhood, you can live it anywhere on the planet? These principles that you learn about the mission of God are cross-cultural, cross-generational, cross-every-other-thing because the message of the gospel will not be stopped by all of these cross-things. The message of the gospel goes across everything. And not only that, but now as I, these leaders line me up into this amazing picture, this story of God, it points to one thing. It points to a day when Jesus Christ is going to come back in all his glory and he's going to set all things straight. In other words, my job as a pastor is to line my people up so that they see themselves as strangers and aliens, that they don't belong here, that they live in such a way that everything is pointing towards that day when Jesus Christ returns and calling others to the same. That story of God that I talked about is huge. One of the reasons that Francis is going over there is because he's very good at that aspect of what we're going to be needing to do in L.A. County. But for the rest of this summer, we tried to choose the person that we thought would be absolutely best to teach you the story of God. And after praying through it and talking through it, we all agreed, Josh Walker, who, if you've ever listened to him, that guy, he knows the story of God. Yeah. I'll tell him the ones that didn't clap later. But he is a phenomenal teacher. See, if I'm supposed to live this story of God, then shouldn't I know the story of God? And in fact, we sometimes think, oh yeah, just a story, blah, 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 blah. There's all kinds of facets and avenues and understandings that Josh, and I've sat down and talked with him. Let me tell you something. I am excited this summer for you to hear that story from all the different facets and avenues that Josh is going to teach you. Like, I am, I've, seriously, I wanted him to start this weekend, but he he's, can't, so he's going to start next weekend. Not only that, but we're going to include kids into this story of God. Now, some of you are like, oh, stupid little kid sitting behind me with his foot in my back of my chair. I'll tell you what. Tell that mom how to parent. No. Do you realize in the Old Testament why they taught the story to God to the whole family is they wanted the whole family to understand it. And then who better to teach the story of God to the kid than mom and dad? That's where we go do the lab, right? In fact, one of the pastors, he's been trying to teach his son about what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself. 
So everywhere he goes in his neighborhood, he takes them along and they're memorizing, love your neighbor as you will. Love the Lord God with their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself so that when daddy stops and interacts with a neighbor, that's not a bad thing because daddy is loving his neighbor as himself. In other words, now we bring scripture to life in our kids' lives. When we get involved with other believers in our neighborhood, we start to teach them about the church and we start to show little Johnny and Susie, this is what we mean. And so God wasn't playing around when, he had, when Israel came to hear the law. He said, I want you to bring everyone. I want your kids to see it. Not only that, but everywhere he would go, he would always say, look, I want you to erect a little monument there because when you walk back by that monument, I want you to teach your kids the story of what happened here. Now, the other part of it is, is that we have some workers. They need a rest for the summer. Some of you guys, you have tough kids. They need to rest. And by the way, I have two that I don't know how they put up with over there. They need to rest. They need to be in here. They need to bring their kids and they need to sit in here. Now, is it going to get messy? Yes, it will. Are you going to have teenagers that go, this is stupid? Yes, you will. I don't want to do this. Yes, it'll happen. But maybe behind you, you might notice a mom that's struggling to control her kids. And there may be a reason for that. And it might be a phenomenal opportunity for you to lean around and go, hey, can I help you? That demonstrates Jesus. Instead of sitting there, stupid kid, kid, tell you what, kids in here. Tell me about the story of God. I want to hear about grace. Right? That's why we're going to do it. Now, I know in a lot of ways, some of you are wondering, why are we going this way? Why are we doing that way? There's a good reason. Trust me, if I could find an easier way, I always will. But I know one day as an elder, I have to stand in front of God for all of you. I've got to answer for you as a group of people. And did we bring you into maturity or did we just keep you in the stroller, pushing you around saying, we'll do it for you, we'll do it for you, we'll do it for you. We've got to get you out And the best way that we understood how to get you out and starting to learn the mission of God and growing up isn't just to have you in a Bible study, but to have you in a lab learning how to do this. Now you can, if you choose, say to me right now today, skip you, I'm going my own way. And to you I say, I'm sorry for that. Because that's not how the Bible functions. You're not saying it to me. I mean, I'm not going to go home and go, they rejected me. You're rejecting God, ultimately. This is where God is leading us. This is where the train is going. This is where we're calling you to dive on and to join us in what God's doing in Simi Valley, California. If I hear one more person say, I have to leave Southern California to see people come to know Jesus, I'm going to scream. I got to go to another country to see it. I got to go here to see it. I got to go there to do it. In Simi Valley, California, right now, there's probably 100,000 people that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 100,000! That if they died today, would spend an eternity apart from Jesus Christ, that would make it to that day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses, only to bow their head and to know they would spend eternity apart from God forever. That's why we're doing what we're doing. You have neighbors that don't know Jesus. That's where we're going. Now today, 
we always offer it. If you want to get baptized, you know, today's the day. But understand, when you get baptized, this is what I mean we're joining. You're choosing to dive in that water and say, I'm going to join this mission. That's the mission. If this is the church I'm at, this is the mission that I'm going to join. Maybe some of you look at it and you just need prayer. You need someone to pray for you. You need those people within your neighborhood to come around you, rally around you, and to love you. You know what? Man, let us know so that we can get around you. Well, I haven't heard it. I had emails. I haven't do that. Be persistent. Don't stop. The thing about Christianity is we're a group of people that don't quit. We are not quitters. I sounded like a coach right there. We're not. We endure because we know where we're going. We know we're here to do the mission. If you'd like to know, come up. We'll try to get you squared away. Last thing is this. I am so excited where we're going. Some of you people have dove on this gravy train, man, and you are rolling. One person within one of these communities had money that they were saving up and they'd been saving up to buy a house. They found out someone else in their community was in massive amounts of debt. They decided to take all the down payment that would have gone to a house and gave them thousands and thousands of dollars to buy them out of debt to model the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you come up later, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you come up later, I'll give you where they live. No, but that's it. One person looked around their neighborhood and they decided that somebody in their neighborhood, in order to display the gospel, they should give up a body part. A body part? See, once you start getting involved in something like that, you're like, yes! Now you're not just sitting out there, but you're around this group of people going, we are going to push this thing forward, come hell or high water, we're going to push it forward, and we're going to do, sorry, um... We're going to push it forward at all costs to accomplish the task. And if I need to give up my liver, I'll give up my liver. You can't do that. But, you know, it's just this thing in which I'm going to do this because of the message of the gospel. That's the group of people I'm going to be in. That sounds like the book of Acts. And by the grace of God, just you know, that's where we're praying God takes us. That's what the church is about. That's what we mean when we say we exist as a church to present this accurate picture of God so that through the growing up of God's saints, people might actually see it. That's where we're going. We love all of you. We do. We're not going on this train because we're bored or because we hate you. We're going on this because we're calling you guys to the greatest thing ever, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's your choice whether you're going to get on. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. I can't wait for the day that you... uh, I hear that trumpet. I can't wait when you come and you gather us home. I can't wait for the day when you set all things right by casting sin and Satan and death into the lake of fire. But God, I stand here today actually. I can't wait for this group of people to go live what God's called them to be about. God, I so am where you were talking in Matthew 9 where just the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. God, we desperately need the Lord of the harvest to present to us the workers that we need. We need leaders and we need sheep and we need all of this to begin to pull off the task of building your body. God, this is really the way we think that you set us to go. And so, God, we, we, we're going we're gonna to trust you more than we trust men. And we're going to go this direction. And I pray most of all that you'd give us grace, you'd give us mercy, but that you would give it a stick to that will not let us stop. God, may your son look absolutely beautiful because groups of people start to act like him. In your precious name we pray, amen.